0: All right, welcome back to another episode of The Ecumen. Today we actually have Pete, Brian, and Jake, PB&J, back in the studio again. We haven't done this in a few weeks. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the virtues and gifts of the Holy Ghost. So here we're going to separate from Catholics, Christians, and everyone else who claims to be. So this is going to be an interesting topic. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, And make sure to throw us questions so we can get back to you because our content changes based on what you guys ask us and we'll be able to go into different topics or go into more depth if there's other things you want to hear about. So thanks again for listening and uh, we'll go right into it. So question 119, what are the chief supernatural powers that are bestowed upon souls with sanctifying grace? The chief supernatural powers that are bestowed upon our souls with sanctifying grace are the three theological virtues and the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost. So we covered sanctifying grace in a previous lesson. So this is for those people who are in union with God. So they're not in a state of mortal sin. They have confessed their sins. They are going to mass regularly as commanded by the church. They're following all the precepts. They're doing what they can. And the fruit of that state is theological virtue. That's what we're talking about here. And the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost, which we're going to go into. Uh, Moving on to question 120. Why are these virtues called the theological virtues? These virtues are called the theological virtues because they have God for their proper object. Ultimately, that also means that these virtues are being given to us by God. We can't generate these things ourselves. So God gives us faith. We accept it. God gives us hope. We accept that. God gives us charity. Uh, That covers question 121 as well. What are the three theological virtues? Faith, hope, and charity. For all of you guys who pray the rosary out there, Faith, hope, and charity are those first three Aves, the first three Hail Marys of the Rosary.
1: Learn something new every day. Yes, as far as them being given by God, right? They're supernatural, they're not natural. They're not something like, hey, do do this act this many times for this many reps, this many, you know what I mean? Like, you're not getting, you're not doing that in order to build it in yourself. Those There are virtues like that, but uh, with these three, these are infused in your soul because of sanctifying grace by God, which is another reason to stay in a state of grace, right?
2: Because if you're out of grace, then ultimately these will erode. But it's back to free will again, right? So you can choose to accept or reject, and God's not going to force Himself upon you. But uh, it's actually a good point with the with the reps. It's not like God's PT program, mm-hmm. right? So you can rationalize god's existence you can uh, look at you know the natural world around you and come to these conclusions but the the act of faith the initial first step is is going to be weak and you have to ask for the gift of faith and it has to be bestowed upon you and it's something you kind of work up into
1: for anyone who's i guess maybe has maybe they're raised in the faith maybe they had childhood belief they go through their you know adolescent or adult years and you know fallen away but maybe this aha moment i know i have where you know you kind of check the box, be like, well, of course I believe in God, of course I have faith. But as you live your life not in accordance with God's commandments, you actually will probably realize that your faith in God very quickly, I don't even know, I don't know if it just, it doesn't happen overnight maybe, or maybe it does, maybe the realization is, but I would say more, more or less erodes, right? Your ability to be charitable to other people, right? Your ability to look to have hope that things will get better and to not become a cynic. Like, all that goes away as you live in a state of mortal sin. And I think if people are really honest with themselves, they could probably look around their own life or in their friend's life and see that.
2: There's also a sliding scale between adults and children, right? So when you're a child, it's like, yep, totally believe God. Like, I, I would see my kids. And they just accept it, right? But if by the time you're 15 or 25 or 35, if you're not ground down by the world, you know, just a adulthood life, you're going to need more than just a, a concept. Where I think that's where more the a other feeling. two more, more a than feeling, just a feeling, more than emotions. And that's when you have to you you bolster it by living the faith, right? So you you can increase your love for your neighbor through charity. I think, it, and,
1: I think too, though, it's it's also one of the things where you know. Faith becomes this safety valve right for not doing work faith used in the wrong way, right the idea of faith in the wrong way you mean faith alone faith alone right or or essentially or yeah. essentially being like, hey, we need to defeat the error of evolution right that is a that is an error, it's a heresy we need to defeat it well we can't we'll never know we just have to have faith no that's stupid it's um, lazy that's lazy right you're not
0: actually going through it. Yeah, faith does not mean absence of work. Faith does not mean absence of a fight. Faith does not mean absence of a struggle. Even. It also
1: doesn't mean absence of logic. True. Like, but, like, just being well. I have faith. Like, I have faith that this coffee cup right here will one day levitate. <laughs> that is stupid. The strong faith, Jake. That is, that is utterly stupid. So yes, faith is not some sort of, to use a secular term, some sort of fairy dust. That just, you know, glosses over your gaps in at work ethic or, you know, logic or anything like that. It's, it's not a, a filler of gaps.
0: It's a compliment. I think the exactly. thing we have to, when we're talking about faith and we're talking about hope and charity, these theological virtues, they're from God. This goes back to the whole grace issue and topic in that when we're talking about God, God is not magic. This is not something different or aside from reality, it's another part of reality. So when you're talking about a filler, this does not compensate for reality. It's super reality. It's another piece of reality. And altogether, if you're actually experiencing faith and hope and charity, all the rest of the virtues get easier, even though you can be sitting there in complete abject suffering and pain and losing everything from a worldly sense, but still be on top still be heading towards God.
2: So faith is the reason why, why we apply all these things, why we apply virtue. It's, it's I don't know, foundational. It is foundational.
0: It, it is the beginning of things to, I guess, what is it? Uh, and We'll talk about that fear of the Lord being one of the gifts of the Holy Ghost that we're going to get to, but that one being the root of it, after we accept the fact that God is God and God is telling us, we need to do things and God's sitting there saying, it's going to be hard and it's going to be rough. And I can't, save you necessarily from the pain that I was willing to put my own son through. So the pain that God himself on the cross was willing to suffer, he's not going to spare us that pain, but he's going to help us get through it. That's where we're going. So in the end, faith is absolutely critical as a component to that in order so that we can actually like, you know, pick our heads up, dust ourselves off one foot in front of the other and keep trudging through things that can be really terrible. It's
2: also a good time to bring up the natural goods, right? So atheists can go do charitable works. But it, it can, but it merits nothing because it's not rooted in faith, and there's no uh, building of treasure in heaven, so to speak.
1: So we spoke about before the whole idea of right, the the narrow path, and then when you sin, you're stepping off the path. And we brought up the idea that you know these demons that are on either side of this path trying to pull us away, and that if you step off the path, you don't get to just walk parallel to the path, you know, for you know one step off of it you know, they're going to continuously pull you further and further and further and make it harder and harder to get back on that path. And I think that's one of the things, right? So faith, hope, and charity, things are given to us by God. As we walk away from his commandments, as we don't do what he desires, all the other virtues,
0: right? They become,
1: how should we say, they become
0: not pleasurable.
1: We don't gain, we don't get enjoyment for their own sake. And well, we don't
0: get, we don't get any reward. There's no merit. There's no earned. merit it's there. just You could do these things, but you didn't actually glorify God because you said, well, I'm going to offend God these 18 different ways. But this one way, see, I did that nice thing for that poor guy. No, that didn't do it. It's 100%. It's all or nothing. This is all I think in. This it's is even, not a buffet line. I
1: think it was almost even physiological on a, on a deeper level. Like you'll, you will be in discomfort doing things like praying the rosary or going to mass. Yes. If you're not in a state of grace and you start and you lose these virtues, you'll become more bitter about the world, how you see it, glass half empty type. You will not be charitable to your neighbor in your dealings, driving on the road, stopping at the gas station, whatever it is. And ultimately, even though in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, of course I believe in God. Ultimately that, before you know it, you'll look down and then you'll kind of just go, do I even? And it's essentially, it's just, you step off, you get out of sanctifying grace and all these virtues fall away. All these weapons that we are able to arm ourselves in the day-to-day interactions in this world We'll start to lose them a either we give them away ourselves or B, the supernatural ones that God gives us he will stop providing them because why why should he provide you know the gift of faith why is it a, why is it incumbent on God to give us faith if we're not willing to do the work
0: and if I may make a separation here so when we're talking about especially Jake's talking about not enjoying a rosary and not enjoying a mass. We're talking about it from a spiritual sense, because very often from an emotional sense, all of us could sit here and agree. There are masses that are hard, even when you're in a state of grace, there are rosaries that are hard, even when you're in when a your state of grace, or, or your mind is wandering, or you're now judging yourself, or you're doing things that are absolutely out of line with the... Purpose of the work you're doing, but you are finding—we'll go with—I'm going to put in quotes, air quotes here—the strength to keep doing it, even though you're losing everything else that you feel you should have to to uh, complete the task well. That is where we're talking about those graces and that backing from God, those virtues. That's that strength. That's it. Is that, that's what we're talking about here is the ability to sit there and go, yeah, we accept the fact that there are, there are rosaries and there are masses and there are other good deeds, actual good, honest to God, good, 100% good deeds that there, that we're working our way through and we're struggling with not being resentful while we do it and struggling with not being angry at this or that or th- thinking about quitting or trying to make fun of it or mock it or all the other things that go on in our heads, let alone out loud and finish. That's all we're trying to do here. Grace is what allows us to do that finish. And in the end, we can still physically suffer pain. We can emotionally suffer pain. We can suffer loss, all manner of hardships, and every other thing that that takes us down. But the true Christian, that man who is, what, poor in soul? So the poor in soul are the most needy of God. So this has nothing to do with how much money you have. This has nothing to do with where you were born. This has nothing to do with... A whole bunch of different things that the modern world tries to go and tag and act like this is what Christianity is. We're talking here about what it takes to be you by yourself, your own naked soul in front of God, seeing everything you've done, where you're coming from, where you're going, everything you're doing and why you're doing it top to bottom. Because we're being judged on the intentions in our hearts, in our minds, where our eyes are, what our hands are doing, everything top to bottom. And this would then include how we're planning our day, how we're going to bed what we do before we go to bed when we go to sleep when we wake up in the morning like are we devoting our entire lives to the glorification of god or not in the end these can all be very tedious things but they can be rewarding this is where i'm going to link in the um, description Lex erandi, lex credendi this is one of those things where the only way to reinforce the good practices regardless of how difficult they are is through commitment, relying on these virtues?
1: I'm going to say the virtues, um, I think, allow us to focus more on the rosebud than the thorns. And when you don't have those virtues in your life, you're more oriented towards the thorns, right? The thorns get bigger and the rose petals get smaller. Whereas when you have the virtues, especially faith, hope, and charity, you know, the thorns are not only manageable, but that physical pain that comes along with Praying your rosary on your on a hardwood floor on your knees like every night, or you know waking up early to go to you know daily mass, those physical things become actually enjoyable, right? Because there is merit in in what you why you're doing those things.
0: You can clearly see the value in it.
2: Correct. This is for the the Protestants that may be listening, but this is where the delineation begins between uh, applied will, which is what this requires. You need to apply yourself in an active way, in, interiorly sometimes, uh, at, outwardly towards your neighbor and others. But we don't presume just to be good. You know, This is all through God, all for God, 24-7. And that's, the to me, the starkest difference between the two religions.
0: Yeah, right, and right now, for all those people who are wondering about it, will say it, without virtue, and I think we've kind of we've touched on it, the fact that the atheist can do a good thing But if he's offending God in every other aspect of his life, he didn't actually do anything good for God because he didn't submit the rest of his ill actions to the judgment of God and saying, you know what? I screwed up, come back with contrition, firm purpose of amendment, changing direction and saying, no, I'm going to commit as opposed to offending him in 18 ways and succeeding in one. How about I try to exceed in all 19 or 100 or 2000 different ways I live my life? That's what we're talking about. You have to go all in. This is 100%. This is all or nothing if we do deeds but we don't have the virtue behind it we're unfortunately especially if we're not even trying we're offending god and if we sit there and we we say we presume right out the gate that we know what all the virtues are or we know that all everything we're doing we're evaluating ourselves i got this man there's a decent likelihood we're offending god so it's not about us coming in there and having the presumption that we got this and everything's all good and we're not coming in here with Catholic guilt saying, well, every single thing I've ever done is wrong, and everything I'm doing is wrong, and I'm terrible, and oh, woe is me. Catholic guilt is the acknowledgement that I am actually worth nothing unless I'm doing God's will. God gave himself for me and would have given himself just for me alone because he said it. However, he will give me nothing if I don't give him everything.
2: It's an, it's an acknowledgement as well that under my own power, I'm really not that good. Nothing. Yeah, i proved that for decades.
0: So all my individual works by myself are useless. All of the works God does through me is where all the merits found. So that's what we're looking at here. So in the end, Christianity, the root of which is Catholicism, and all the other stuff strays from the purity and completeness of Catholicism, that's where the truth of our religion lies. This is how to be a Christian. And this is what everyone else we're trying to teach you right now. So I think we'll go from here into the... We've talked about them a little bit, but looking at questions 122 through 124, what is faith? Faith is the virtue by which we firmly believe that all the truths of God has revealed, on the word of God revealing them, who can neither deceive nor be deceived. 123, what is hope? Hope is the virtue by which we firmly trust that God, who is all-powerful and faithful to his promises, will in his mercy give us eternal happiness and the means to obtain it. And what is charity? Charity is the virtue by which we love God above all things for his own sake and our neighbors, ourselves, for the love of God." Now, these are three separate virtues, and we hear on the Protestant side, especially when Luther rolls onto the scene with his whole faith alone, sola fide, all that nonsense, it's looked at as if these things are exclusive. Nowhere in Christian teaching, especially in scripture, which we did hit on one of the last two lessons, do any of the apostles or God himself say, Well, you only need faith alone, man. No, it's faith, hope, and charity. And we have have not even gotten into the rest of the cardinal virtues. So all of them, all the above. If you do not have faith, then yes, we get it. You can't start. If you do not have, like, you can't even start to believe in God. You can't follow God. You can't justify why you should be going through all of these difficult times. If you don't have hope, then you can't optimistically look at the world around you and all those failings. And see how that could actually work out well for any of us in the end. Because right now, the world's a mess, to say the least. And without charity, there's no way we could actually do what needs to be done. This is, I don't know, I think charity ties more of it together than any of the other virtues. And I believe that's exactly what Paul says in First Corinthians 13. Charity's what allows us to actually suffer the whole time and give of ourselves up into including our, our lives for Christ. And if that means martyrdom, so be it. If that means we witness for God forever and we die as confessors, great, but it doesn't matter. Whatever it takes, however much money, however much loss, we have to be willing to pay the entire cost because if God could give himself an infinite God, Mary could give her infinite son for us, the least we could do is our tiny little life of the, the however many 7 billion of us here on this planet. I could give my one little life, everything I got in it, just back to God and say, thanks. That's probably a here would you say you need faith and works Pete
2: what's strange
0: yes I would as I would absolutely say that almost like I think the catechism that we're talking about right now actually literally specifies that we have to do that because we'd call them works of charity I believe right the corporal works of mercy and spiritual works all these works right we acknowledge totally that none of that good is possible without God because Jesus says that basically what he's the vine yeah. We're, so if we don't have him, there's no way we can do good without him. We can do nothing. I believe is his exact we start
2: ticking off the Protestant fallacies here. Uh, so by works, we mean the charitable works and not that we're just doing a checklist. They're like, ah, oh, threw a hamburger at a homeless guy today. I guess I'm going to heaven, which is kind of how in my head, how I view Protestants
0: think of us sometimes. But well, indulgences, that's where it's going to go next. You're like, well, what about those indulgences? Yeah, just paying my way right in the checks as I go. No, that's not how this whole thing works. The indulgence, we're going to talk about that. I will give a link to indulgences in here as well, because we're trying to combine this whole faith, hope and charity thing, faith and charitable works. That's how this whole salvation equation uh, ultimately uh, computes. And indulgences are a remittance of temporal punishment. For sin. We have not talked about purgatory yet.
2: your sin's already forgiven.
0: Correct. Sins forgiven. So you actually uh indulgences do nothing without confession. Strangely enough. They're Weird. worthless without a confession. So Worse for future sin. And they're also worthless for future sins. You know, so I can't pay whole, forward. This whole
1: idea of like those who pay whatever sort of money and go on the crusade and you know you're guaranteed heaven. that's that's not true. I don't think that was ever said. It was probably something along the lines of those who go on crusade. And die in a state of grace. Grace shall go to heaven. And, you know, now we move on. We have gone through our nice rabbit hole. We still haven't gotten to 124, even though we started talking about what is charity, right? And I wanted to talk about this because I think charity is one of the most abused virtues in our modern world, right? So the Catechism says charity is the virtue by which we love God above all things for his own sake and our neighbor as ourselves for the love of God. Now that'll immediately strike a chord with people who are in a passing familiarity with the Bible, right? Jesus says, "Love your neighbor as you love yourself." And that is the one that the neo-pagans, hedonist, you know, modernist, progressive leftists love love pointing to, right? It's the number one commandment right there. You know, "Love your neighbors as you, love, and I'm just loving myself, like you know, and it's just so typical diabolical fashion. It's just so twisted. From what it actually means right and so when you divorce you can see that when you attach charity to that statement and what charity actually means in the church teaching then obviously there's no way to rectify that statement what the catechism says with a hedonist lifestyle say
0: that statement again right like specifically which part of that thing does not equate to hedonism so that all listeners out there can make sure we're Summarizing this down right. concisely,
1: so when you attach charity to this whole
0: idea, this is self-sacrificial love. Right?
1: Charity is the virtue by which we love God above all things for His own sake, and our neighbor is ourselves for the love of God. So it's not. It's not. I love myself, and you know, I love my pleasure, and I love giving my neighbor pleasure. We love ourselves, and we love our neighbor for God's sake. Right? How can how can our love for our own, our own souls and for our neighbor's soul, how can that amplify God, bring because of, to God?
0: Because of God is the centerpiece of everything and where all value is measured from. Therefore, it makes it a very easy equation as to whether or not I should die for the glory of God as opposed to offending him. This is the equation that every martyr had to run through their mind as they were being asked to do something absolutely terrible. And they said, it's just words.
1: All you have to say, just, just say these words to Apollo. And you can go back to being a Christian after that, man. You can just say these words. Come on, really, really. You're just, gonna make me boil
0: you. Yeah, you don't even have to mean it, man. Me you don't have to mean it. To
2: just mean a it. pinch of incense, Jake. That's all. Just this rolls the bowl. of the, one of the perpetually just annoying things I get with translations out of scripture, and it always goes back to that sappy wedding moment of like, "Love is patient, love is
0: kind." But you know, then you start getting. They it read it
2: like it's a Nicholas Sparks book. It really, truly. Like, really.
0: It's, you mean a bad poem, as opposed to actual commandments from God? But but no, you, you go back to the Latin, though. It's it's charity, right? It's, yes. Charity is
2: patient. Charity, charity, charity is different from eros, which is different from yeah. You know, what's the? Uh, there's four of them, right? It's four. Yeah, three. it's philo, philo, eros, um, uh, agape, agape, which is the highest form, which is charity, right? Yeah, this is the,
0: yeah sacrificial love, meaning again everything you have, you'd be willing to give it away, the whole thing, and lose it all permanently, forever. Because again, if God is the sole meaning of everything, then why do I want any of the fleeting things that I have in my possession? I don't need my house. I don't need my money. I don't need my job. I don't need this world because in the end, I have God. So that's what I want. So all these again, martyrs are. But again, even this
1: all when we, even when we're talking about you know, no greater love hath man than to lay down his own life for his friend, right? Even that that statement. If you take out charity, right, for the purpose of loving God for His sake, if you t- remove that it loses its value. Well,
0: it has to because that whole statement was actually talking about Christ giving correct. his life for us
1: for the glory of correct. It cannot be Nevada, removed and like, be like, oh look at that, you know? Um, you know, just I'll die I'll do anything. I'll die for anyone. It's like, mm-hmm.
0: No, there's no I I think and the thing is is let's caveat this too and sit there and go, it's not that we don't love those pagans out there. Or these Protestants that we know, or all the other atheists and Satanists and whatever else. In all seriousness, we absolutely love their souls and hope, uh, hope commitment people. here that they are actually going to amend their lives. We pray for it. We have masses said for it. We want them to actually amend and come around and be Catholic. But in the meantime, false charity, right, yeah. is what we're
2: talking about, yeah, right? We won't confirm them in their sin by accepting their lifestyles. Right. Like, we want actually charitable. Yeah, the greatest good for them is to get to heaven. That's, yes. that's the greatest love we could have for them.
0: So we're not going to tell them it's okay to abort babies in the womb. We're not going to tell them it's okay to be homosexual. We're not going to tell them it's okay to live lives of avarice. And so, you know, flinging money every which way and being completely irresponsible with all their commitments to their children or their friends or their family or the their work. A
1: fling. <laughs>
0: that's, not even, that's not even an option for me. <laughs> it's a grace. It's a, <laughs> and so that's where we're... Trying to make sure that everyone understands that here we're trying to get all of you guys to understand it's these souls which are eternal. And the only way we can look at this entire problem that is life uh, and its difficulties and how to get through successfully is from God's perspective, from eternity, looking back this way. And then it all comes together. It all makes sense. Because if you try to look from here, this temporary existence, how fleeting it is, you can justify anything under the sun. You can make anything work in your head, and you can try to play games, but in the end, it's not necessarily faithful. It's not hopeful in terms of understanding the fullness of what God envisions for the reward in heaven. As even Paul says, we can't even fathom it, and it's not charitable in terms of well, does it do everything, putting God at the center? So from here, if you guys are cool with it, we'll move into the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Roll on. All right. Question one twenty-five. What are the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost? The seven gifts of the Holy Ghost are wisdom, understanding, counsel. Fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. So
1: if God loves me, why do I have to fear him? (laughs) I'm
0: sorry. I'm just being a sarcastic jerk. Because we've all heard it. We've all heard it. So in terms of fear, and perhaps Brian will be able to help me out. So the, the one that I remember most clearly is the difference between the filial fear and that base fear. We're not talking about sitting here trembling and just waiting for God we, to just randomly and arbitrarily just smite us as we walk we down the road. We
1: aren't talking about We're, like a, a scared child cowering in the corner when, you know, his mean dad comes his home. mean, abusive dad right? comes home. We're not talking about that, out. right? But fear of the Lord in my mind, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I've always thought of it this way is it's a proper ordering of things right having a fear of the lord is essentially a knowledge of the proper order of things and where you rack and stack in the grand cosmos if you will
0: so yeah the the filial fear is out of love for god and god's opinions and god's perspective and god's desires and god's will i'm not angry you
1: disappoint me
0: that's right. the whole thing we're more worried about disappointing knowing that we know what he wants and knowing that our will needs to be aligned to his and out of our desire to be 100% in alignment Filial fear is whenever we're just, we are actually more worried about letting him down and disappointing. We don't no. want to disappoint him because we know we can do this with him because he said he was going to give us all the grace. He was going to give us all the virtue and all the strength. And, and we decide for some reason to be like, eh. And if somehow and you all...
1: conceptualize him in your mind is like your beer, your barbecue buddy or your drinking buddy, you know, you're on his level. Jesus is my friend. You all of a sudden, you're not, you know, I'm not super worried in our day-to-day interaction, right, of disappointing you all as much as I am disappointing, you know, my boss, right? Because we are, as friends, on the same level as opposed to, like, a business partner or, you know, a, a judge or, you know, whatever it is. Like, there is a different level that we are on. And so, when you conceptualize God wrong and you will lose that fear of disappointing him you will lose your understanding your perspective of the natural order of the world which is that you are beneath him and that you owe him many things and essentially everything
0: i also want to emphasize a point here too this is not the catholic church just winging this and making it up you know just to rule people in the 12th century or whatever this here is actually coming out of scripture the old testament so we're looking at Isaiah 11:2 and 3 is actually where all of the gifts of the Holy Ghost are mentioned in scripture. So, this is not Old Testament God and New Testament God. This is like a cohesive God forever unchanging had already told man through the prophet Isaiah, these are the gifts that I'm going to give you through my Holy Ghost.
2: Actually, I have some really cool definitions to yes. read here. So, uh this is I'm, I'm doing the uh the consecration prep to St. Joseph by Father Don calloway Humble brag, b- humble brag, humble brag. <laughs> Uh, but there was a chapter I read where the uh, the Spiritans, the Holy Spirit Fathers, which is a group devoted to the Holy Spirit, they actually have a pretty good definition of the gifts. So uh, the gift of fear fills us uh, with a sovereign respect for God and makes us dread nothing so much as to offend him by sin. It is a fear of sin that arises, not from the thought of hell, but from the sentiments of reverence and filial submission to our Heavenly Father. It is the fear that it is the beginning of wisdom, detaching us from worldly pleasures that could, in any way, separate us from God.
0: I will make sure to link that on the description, so you guys can go find out where to get a hold of the Saint Joseph Prep.
2: Uh, yeah, it's a consecration of Saint Joseph, and right. they have a 33D Prep that's kind of modeled after uh, Saint Louis de Montfort. And then the uh, there's actually a book within a book, so even if you don't do the consecration. Uh, there's a fantastic little book in the middle that kind of goes through the virtues and extols the life of saint joseph home all
0: right well i'll link that there so we can give more uh, information there in terms of all of these gifts and, and what they do for us this is question 126 how do the gifts of the holy ghost help us the gifts of the holy ghost help us by making us more alert to discern and more ready to do the will of god and we'll go and couple it with uh 127 and 128 here so Which are some of the effects in us of the gifts of the Holy Ghost? Some of the effects in us of the gifts of the Holy Ghost are the fruits of the Holy Ghost and the Beatitudes. So I guess we'll keep going all the way to 129. Which are the 12 fruits of the Holy Ghost? The 12 fruits of the Holy Ghost are charity, joy, peace, patience, benignity, goodness, long-suffering, mildness, faith, modesty, continency, and chastity. Actually, let's, let's talk about those before we go into one twenty nine. So if you want to be Christian, you have to have these. And even if you don't have them today, God expects you to be working very hard to acquire them through him so that no one could be confused in terms of how you behave and treat everyone around you and think that you are anything other than a child of God, anything other than a soldier of Jesus Christ. When people look at you, If you are going to claim that you are a Christian, people better be confused when they look at you and not be able to see where Jesus starts and stops versus where you start and stop. Hopefully that kind of makes sense to everyone.
1: Well, I think it's interesting. If you were to go back, right, because we did rattle off quite a few concepts there, right? So if we'll go back to the gifts of the Holy Ghost and essentially the ability to discern what's good, what's wrong, right? If you don't have these gifts... You're going to be kind of flying blind right you know without your sensors on but some of the effects of the gifts of the holy ghost right we'll say um so if you were looking at the seven gifts of the holy ghost right so they are wisdom understanding counsel fortitude knowledge piety and fear of the lord right with those gifts you end up getting the fruits of the holy ghost now let's read those off again the 12 fruits of the holy ghost charity joy Peace, patience, benignity, goodness, long-suffering, mildness, faith, modesty, continency, and chastity, right? If you're looking at all those, right, and I'm saying here's person A, and he possesses all the gifts of the Holy Ghost and all the fruits of the Holy Ghost, it's very hard for that person to then exist in anything that we might recognize in our modern world, right? Mardi Gras or, you know, Times Square on New Year's Eve or on a beach in South Miami, you know, surrounded by a bunch of scantily clad women. It's very hard for someone to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm Christian. I'm good. I'm good with God. You know, I've got I've got everything I need, everything that God could bestow upon me. I'm living like a saint and then also exist in those you, worlds. You
0: can't see Christ's club in eight vodka tonics in. I can't. That doesn't,
2: I cannot. This
0: is uh, the classic
2: uh, light and darkness can't coexist at the same time. Right. So if you go towards God, you're naturally going to take a step away from the world and you become more sensitive to it in some ways. There's some things I'd never would have picked up on 10 years ago. And then now I just like it just triggers something on the back of my neck where it's like, oh, this is awful. Like,
0: it's revolting. It is. Uh, and things that, that, as you get closer and closer to God, you will be more and more revolted by the world when Damn. you see things that are completely and utterly worldly and destructive. Because in the end, not only do they offend God, the thing that you can't see when you're in the, m- the middle of the muck is the damage you're causing not only to yourself but all the people around you?
1: And that is the classic argument, right? Well, I'm not hurting anyone, right? It's a victimless crime, yeah, right? It's a victimless crime, right? If we're talking about um, you know men when they're viewing on the internet, like, well, I'm not hurting anybody, and yes, you are hurting yourself, your willpower, you're objectifying that other person. You're you know you do there's any number of things that you're actually doing that is whether or not you realize it slowly warping the way you perceive the sure. world and will ultimately interact within that world. And what are we now? Five decades, six decades since the quote unquote sexual revolution. And,
0: but I, I think the thing we need to go and add on to that is cause we we've hit on uh, pornography and sixth commandment issues a lot. And we're going to go into six commandment issues down the road in future lessons because in the end impurity is a huge problem in today's society. But, beyond just the impurity problem, which is huge. It is a major problem. Blaspheming. So if we're going to have people out there saying the Lord's name in vain. It is obviously offensive to God. It's scandalizing because you're showing any children who hear it are seeing, Oh, that's good. That's okay. I could do that too. So what does God think when you're scandalizing his little children and now they're hearing it and seeing it? And says well, this, everyone acts like this. Everyone says it or you have someone who's into white collar crime stuff where I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to steal this little bit and I know I can do it. It'll be fine. Right. Even though you're creating paperwork down the road, you're creating other headaches for these other people. Their life is more difficult now because of crime. or having to create new businesses and new regulations. Whenever all these other people all because just, well, it was just, it was just a thing. I was just a paperwork error. I could just modify it or you keep well, going to like, even.
1: I think ultimately too, by the way, the idea of victimless crime removes the whole idea that God is central. Right. So there is no victimless crime. When you look at it, that everything you do, every sin you you um, you, you know, commit, pre- is commit. Is, there is we go, the that's the word. How I couldn't think of that word, it's but every sin by God. is witnessed by God and and ultimately is what added to his suffering during his passion. Right. So when we say victimless crime, it's a classic secular way of saying, like, well, I'm not hurting, you know, the man or woman next door. Right. Well, regardless, if you think you are, which you probably are, on a deep moral, spiritual, and psychological level, you probably are harming yourself or someone else when you are committing these crimes of impurity or actual, you know, breaking the laws, of criminal and stuff like that.
0: But or, regardless, or lying or whatever,
1: lying. But regardless of all of that, whether you are having an impact on someone else or your soul, if you could separate the, those two things, which you cannot, sin damages your state of your soul, but say you could, you separate that, that it doesn't hurt, hurt you or anyone else. You are still offending and therefore hurting God. So it is not a victimless crime.
2: I think uh, the modern, at least modern America, has been so dumbed down, so desensitized to this, that we can get to, I'll say something controversial. Uh, how about idolatry? How about the fact that I could spend six hours on a Sunday watching football? But for a fraction of that time, you could have gone to Mass. You could have fulfilled your obligations. You could have set an example for your children. But now you've just built the next generation of could NFL Super fans. You well, could have been a nope. Mass.
1: Could been to Mass. And have-
0: while throwing a temper tantrum. And well, because your team lost. That's right. And, and you burned thousands of dollars here and there on all the paraphernalia and traveling and watching the events. And how many other things could you have done to glorify God? But in the end, it was all about just trying to go and... Feel better about yourself for a few minutes. That's
1: not to say that we are against athletics. No, not at all. They're good. They're good endeavors. Uh, You know, it is good for young boys too, and I guess girls as well, to do athletic events. And it is train the body, train the mind. But again, it goes back to temperance. You know, and proper order. There you go. That's he always has what I'm looking for. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, so I think he's like my traveling catchphrase.
0: I do what I gotta do, man. I gotta keep the dictionary here just in case. Just keep watching. So I love it. So we're gonna get into another awesome topic here because the beatitudes. I've heard about them, and I've heard about them from Protestants in a very high-minded, like, "Oh, isn't that so nice? He's so he's so caring up there." And this is Jesus. He's just he loves everyone. Is Pete about to give me
1: Brian? Is Pete about to give me some beatitude? (laughs)
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh man right. I'm, not just, <laughs> I'm not even a dad i'm not even a dad you're gonna be great when you get there because right now when we look at what the beatitudes are they're not just him being all gushy and trying to say some nice things so that everyone knows how cool a guy he is he's giving commandments because the implicit unsaid aspect of the beatitudes is if you don't do this you are going to be punished this is so, where you wash away the protestant notions of yeah. us
2: right like where's the movies and it's just a soft Aww. white light ah oh, blessed are the poor in spirit <laughs>
0: like he was a, he was a pretty real guy he was a tough guy so take every single one of these beatitudes and remember because that those who are not abiding are going to suffer punishment and further those who do it in a grave sense without repenting will be damned for this So these are serious. So let's go through the eight Beatitudes here that we talked about in terms of the the gifts of the Holy Ghost. These are things that if you do not have the Holy Ghost with you, it will be hard to actually feel these, know them, or to actually adhere to God's commandments with them. So let's just dive right in. The eight Beatitudes, question 129. Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're not talking about poor out on the street who cannot eat. (laughs) weird (laughs) thing that's a whole different thing this is not having to do with money we're not communists and we don't say comrade they
1: also can come to heaven
0: they also can come to heaven but this is he was not yes
1: jesus is not a communist that says i like poor people and i hate rich people
0: he's talking about the people who are selfless who actually don't see themselves they don't see themselves as like a big deal they're sitting there saying no god's a big deal whatever he wants i will do let's be humble Yes, so those who are humble are going to get to heaven. Those who aren't humble, who sit there and think they know better, they're going to have a rough time. Number two, blessed are the meek, for they shall possess the earth. We're not talking about the calm and the and the weak and the timid. We're, We're not talking ta- about defenseless people. Yeah, wimps, this is not wimps. No, the meek are the disciplined, according to the definition of the word. These people know when to control themselves. They know when to leave the sword in the sheath. They know where to put their eyes. When they're walking around in places where they're near occasions of sin, they know when to hold their tongue whenever they shouldn't say something that is out of line.
1: And and we see this too, like with our, you know, with um, certain celebrities or, or movie characters, like we see this, right? This big, strong guy who has all this martial talent as far as, you know, karate or whatever it is, but is just, or at least imposing, even if it's in the real world, like a big muscular guy who if he wanted to could probably hurt everyone in the room but they're extremely nice and they're we're talking about the rock yeah there you yeah. go we're talking about the rock you know probably <laughs> not probably not but someone like the yeah, rock somebody. if you're seeing like someone like the rock but he's extremely nice he's extremely polite he's good with children like that is extremely attractive and i am not talking sexual since i'm talking about like that is a, that is something that we look at and we we hold up as something to be like because that he is meek right he could do these things but he has discipline and he has he is exhibiting multiple other virtues in his behavior his day-to-day behavior. i'm
2: sure he's got a bunch of worldly baggage and stuff to work out on his own but it is a great i guess caricature of authentic masculinity yeah Yeah, The Rock or Jason Momoa, you know, the people that are great with kids,
1: you know, those people that these big imposing guys that if they wanted to could humiliate the other men around them. Right. Physically mock them. And there's nothing nobody can touch them. But, you know, they don't. They're good
0: bros, if you will. Sorry. What we're getting at then is if you cannot control yourself, there is no way that you will be able to actually make it to heaven.
1: Subscribe to the Ecumen where you can see the Beatitudes linked to the rock.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a weird digression, but uh, I wasn't planning for this today. (laughs) And then number three, blessed are they who mourn for they shall be comforted. We're talking about just mourning. So we're not talking about just to be sad, to waste time and be sad because we're being thoughtless. Or oh, we're being hyperbolic, or we're just being overly emotional. Shout out to emos. <laughs>
1: <laughs> emos, for those who aren't aware, I believe stands for emotionals, of the early 2000s, the early to mid-aughts.
0: Is that still a word? Is it still I a thing? Know. As I know, long as life is still pain-peed, it is. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm so happy I'm not in pop culture. It's delightful. <laughs> so to summarize, we're talking about those who mourn for the sins committed against the commandments of God then moving on to four blessed are they who hunger and thirst for justice for they shall be satisfied justice this means we acknowledge the fact that there is an objective morality god's morality over and above everything else all of his commandments are still in effect as they always have been and at the end even now There will be justice rendered for offenses against God, period, and done. And we should not cower or run from this or fear it. It is not for us to sit there and say that other religions are okay because, well, we love them too. It's a brotherhood of the world. No, absolutely not. Because anything that is not 100% Catholic ultimately possesses some percent offense to God. That is too much. There will be no offenses to God left at the end. After the second coming, after heaven, everything else, there are only Catholics left in heaven. Newsflash. There is only Catholicism and only Christ's church that he created. Only Catholicism and 100% truth. He is truth and he cannot tolerate because the truth is intolerant of falsehood. He cannot tolerate falsehood or lies or anything that goes against his justice. Period. Done. That's it. So We should not be running from justice. We should be running towards it. And the thing is, is we need to be coming to God as children, humble and innocent, fully humble, fully innocent. And then what do we have to worry about with justice? There's nothing to worry about with justice because we didn't do anything wrong. Our goal is to get into that boat. That's why we go to confession. This is why we go take the Eucharist. This is what the mass is for. This is what prayer is for. Like, ah, justice, justice, justice. There will be. too
1: that um, it's the difference, the idea of, because right now we do live in, especially with social media, but particularly in the past a decade, I'd probably say, with the advent of Twitter and Facebook prevalence and all that, we live in the age of uh, mob culture and cancel culture, and uh, you know all that stuff. So justice is not revenge, um, and this is probably by no means a textbook philosophical definition, but again, something that I've kind of thought of and tried to boil it down into, you know, a one-liner is. Revenge generally um, is focused on emotional gratification, um, where justice is detached in its proper order of things, and it's logical, right? So,
0: God, um, Our God is a vengeful God, though, and we know that abortion and homosexuality we're about cry out to God for vengeance. We're talking about
1: us, right? We... We do not seek vengeance, right? We thirst for justice. We don't have the
0: authority to do Correct. it. Correct.
1: That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about because people can look at that and go, well, I hunger and thirst for justice for women, equal pay and all that. And it's like, again, no, what you're talking about is a spiteful or vengeful or, you know, an emotional appeal to your pride. Yeah. Prideful. Ultimately justice is separate from that. What God, God's revenge and God's justice that is his business. It is not ours. Is ultimately what I'm going to, going for.
0: Number five: Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So God is the most merciful, infinitely merciful of anything that has ever existed and ever will exist, and He's forever. We are supposed to emulate that. If we do not emulate His mercy, if we as Catholics, as we as Christians, cannot be merciful in terms of giving people the capacity to correct then we are failing them. This is the concern why we have to separate the sinner from the sin. That a man, a woman can change course and to label them and to take away mercy and not allow them to make those changes is a fault on us. And we should not expect to receive any mercy in turn.
1: Come on, Pete, you don't really think Trump's pro-life, do you? (laughs) Like
0: that. He's just never has
1: been. He never has been. He's been an adulterer and he's, you know, and he's, boorish and he's mean and he's cruel and he's obsessed with money and he's a liar. all those same things all those things i have no doubt he has certainly displayed those acts um none of us can judge his heart in particular or anyone's heart you can only judge their acts and right now i'm judging his acts as president and i'm sitting there going like hats off he's been the most pro-life president he has been literally you want to talk about, like, using power for good and standing up for people who have
2: zero voice, unborn children. It's positive reinforcement. If our neighbor, who offends us constantly, which irritates us, and we do kind of, as humans, hold on to that grudge, and they make a small, subtle change in a positive direction, and yet we're still merciless, what's the incentive for them to keep changing, especially if it's your husband or wife or friend or whatever, Trump? If we don't give him positive reinforcement, he may not continue in this positive direction. And which one of us really truly doesn't? No one would. No one would like to stand before Christ at His judgment throne, and hear Him
1: say, "I forgave you, but you couldn't forgive Him." Like,
0: well, I think this is a key point here that it just so happens that Beatitude five follows Beatitude four. Is usually the way of things. I know, right? It's, it's so weird. <laughs> Did you say he had a plan, Pete? Yeah, look at that. There's almost a sequence here. Where in no if, particular order. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you actually, though, in, if you ignore Beatitude 5, expect to receive Beatitude 4. So if you do not give mercy, expect justice to be handed down mercilessly. That is what comes at the end. So all of us have to go and abide by all of these things here. All right. Number six. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God no one's heart is cleaner than christ's and second to that is the blessed mothers we have an obligation to ensure that our heart is always pure and clean in the same capacity therefore we we can't hold on to pride there's nothing about catholics saying we're better than the rest of the world because we aren't we catholics are a mess although our church is immaculate although our mother is immaculate although our god is perfect we have many things we have to go and clean up and resolve before we even have a prayer of getting into heaven and probably a pun intended.
2: Yeah. This is impurity again, not to keep, this is why Catholics get a bad rep. It's like, well, they're always just sex obsessed. I mean, but we got a million kids to prove that we're not, but it's impurity again of heart lusting in the heart. It's, it's all the, it's all those six commandment topics again, where if you are, for lack of a better term just filthy on the inside uh there's no room for god there you can't have the, you can't expect the holy spirit to dwell within you and and be completely worldly and just full of sexual where sin.
0: would he fit yeah where would he fit if, if all it is is impurity if all it is is gawking it at whatever makes you feel physically better for that period of time if that's all you care about you have no room for god you have no room to leave the rest of it. Aside. You're not even
2: desiring him. You know. no.
0: It's it's not possible.
1: It's just giving into base natures. Um again foot like animal. The the clean For of animals. heart too kinda of goes back to I just envision, you know, pool parties in Las Vegas and things like that. Um if you're partaking in that, I mean just talk about it, just like an unforced air. Even if you were able to just go in there with just like Ray Charles blinders on and avoid whatever issues you have, like, why would you, why would you even want to, why would you want to put yourself in that position? If you truly Late love, night clubs. If, if you, you truly if you really love are, God, And you're truly trying to keep your heart clean, then why would you it. ever go, yeah, I can do that, but like, I do, I just love to go dance on Saturday night. Like, okay. So, dancing for an hour, you know, or two hours, or three hours, or whatever however long you dance like
0: that's we don't that's, dance a lot here we don't not really sure that's <laughs> that's
1: worth it to just kind of To be fair to the
2: mind. listeners there's a spectrum here if you're going ballroom dancing with that's your, a different ball game different ball game but if you're making money on the side that's a completely different end of the spectrum jake what are you doing on the weekends <laughs> <laughs> i
1: think people pay me to keep my clothes on um but uh no, I mean, I'm talking about more just generally like, you know, the college kids, right? You know, got to yeah. go to this new club, you know, got to go see this show. Just step one of a hookup. Yeah. It's um, unnecessary, depending on what, you, what, what your actual goal is. You know, you're really risking for a Up. fleeting, a fleeting pleasure. You're risking more, you know. E-
2: eternity. Eternity. Right. So I'll go out on a limb and just. Yeah, I'll back you up and say that uh, if you're out at 2 in the morning on a Friday night, I'm assuming you're probably not up to any good. I think my mother would love to hear me say this.
1: Uh, she'll probably be laughing as she hears this, but she says always says nothing good ever happens after midnight. Yeah, unfortunately <laughs> yes. I was 28 when I figured <laughs> that out.
0: Yes, I totally agree. Seven, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Pretty self-explanatory.
2: I think this one. Does that
0: mean we're pacifist? No. Not so
1: self-explanatory, no. there, oh, Brian. Troche.
0: <laughs> that's right. I thought we just sit around fires with some guitars and we just sing like "Kumbaya." A lot. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how you peacemake, right? I mean, I'm already feeling more peaceful just talking about it. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I
1: think it it boils down to right. You forgive your enemies, not your friends but be vigilant with the hatchet. You have to you have to make peace with your enemies not your friends cuz otherwise they that said though
0: going back to not a bunch of uh hippies we do not make peace by accepting offenses to god. Correct. We have to demand that's why the 100% <laughs> compliance to everything god commanded and when we make peace it is that for all of those people who will do as God commands and love and adapt, learn, be willing to change for God, we help them along to do that. There is patience involved, another virtue. There's all these other pieces that we have to, to consider as we go forward, but we cannot sit there. This does not mean you blindly tolerate every offense that could ever be conceived. So we don't tolerate Islam. Sorry, not going to happen. We, do, we don't tolerate Satanism. No. But you can tolerate Satanists, you can tolerate Muslims, as long as they're willing to come around. That's what we're trying to get to. So It's old
2: school social order, where you would see, okay, hey, we can't force conversions, everyone's welcome to live in a well-ordered society under Christian rule, we're not going to promote your error by promoting, you know, mosques or, you know, temples or whatever. But, at the same time, you need to, you know, submit to the right social order, because Christ ultimately is going to judge that king, president, uh, dictator, whomever is in, he placed in charge, all authority comes from God.
0: Yes, because we're supposed to submit to our masters, even the unethical and unkind ones. So we'll leave it out or close out here with uh, number eight. Blessed are they who suffer persecution for justice's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I think I would hit this on two angles because persecution which is just and i assume from the standpoint of like this would be a uh, martyrs and other people what, they would what be there red martyrs that they're right they're they're doing a just they're just suffering they're doing what they're supposed to do and there's a bunch of pain involved in there but in the end it's all for a good purpose and the other angle what i would also consider it would be uh inmates or prisoners or convicts on death row who justly accept what they have done wrong and then convert and sit there and say, this is actually justice be done. This is one of the interesting positive points or supportive points for the death penalty is that what they have actually witnessed when it happens and you have good priests involved, the amount of conversions that come out of the death penalty are high where people realize I actually needed this. This is actually, unfortunately the way it was supposed to happen, but I'm willing to actually suffer this punishment, but in the end submit myself wholly to God for God's judgment. They basically stop fighting, which is actually again, justice it's almost a beautiful thing whenever someone finally submits everything to God willfully. It's uh whether it's a a martyr or a confessor, again, or the white martyrdom or the red martyrdom. Confessors basically they live, they die peaceful uh, they die peacefully, but have submitted themselves entirely as white martyrs to the glory and service of God.
2: If you get fired because you're Catholic, that is just you know, rejoice in that, that small consolation that you know, you're, know you you're kind of doing fighting the good fight for God at that point. But the, uh, the slow rolling of the death penalty, what a grace, what a mercy. You're seeing mercy illustrated. It's like, um, you know, all the people that are like, no, man, I just want to go quick in my sleep or get hit by. No, drag that out. Like I'd rather have, last rites you know extreme unction
0: every day it's all the contemplation you get to actually go back and do a full review uh what amounts to a general confession style review of your life to actually sit there and then try to rectify ask forgiveness for get the last of the contrition you can possibly acquire to feel bad enough for all the things you've done to actually give some sort of um Re- recompense back to God for all the wrongs and all the damages you've caused yet yeah, there's actually a beauty in setting things straight so getting everything in order before you get to go versus just dying quick without anything in order and then it's just a mess and you have no idea what happens
2: yeah, getting so. your ticket punched quick in the middle of the night is uh, how confident are you at that point yeah, yeah not me I'm not good enough for not that, comfortable
0: so. with that
1: Yeah, I think uh, the whole idea is right was is it is it okay? It's a, it's a difficult concept, right? Is it okay to persecute someone because they are Catholic? Is that God's will? No. Do we know that the blood of martyrs helps the church grow? Yes. So you know what I mean. So it's one of those things like, ju- is it is it just? Is it right? No. However, it is what is required in God's plan in order for this thing that right. So this is the book. So of it Job. was not. Na- Correct. It was not right that Christ was crucified, you know, while be called being called a heretic and he you know blasphemer innocent. and all that. When he was innocent, right? But we do know that it that was required in order to save us all, right? We know that he had to he had to be sacrificed in order to save us all. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the things that, yes, I would say any sort of persecution, as long as you're on the right side of that persecution. You should be pretty uh, feeling pretty good about that. Take some, some comfort in that you know, hey, I'm in a state of grace. I am being overtly persecuted for being, you know, Catholic.
2: Are, are you good circling back to the macro of, yeah. of suffering, right? So we're called to suffer. We're, call, we're called to partake in the suffering. And it, I mean, it even goes back to the Blessed Mother, right? Not, I mean, we all know how Christ suffered, but it, the absence of Christ, you know, Christ is in the temple, gone three days and, you know, during the three days after the crucifixion, uh, we're called to sometimes, like Job, have an absence, and that absence hurts in many ways. You know, if he withdraws his grace even slightly, uh, we take it for granted just how comfortable our lives are. I think it's it's only just suffering, right? It takes two to
1: tango, as it were, speaking of dancing, right? It's You can be persecuted and merit nothing if your actions, right, You know, if you're being, you know, picking pick a land in history where one country, you know, was ruled over another or within its own government. Right. And the people are being, quote unquote, unjustly, you know, uh, or wrongly oppressed. You know, they're starving, whatever it is. Well, if those people are turning to communism as their liberation. Right. That's not just persecution. Then if they're turning, taking solace in the sacraments and the Holy Mother Church. Then yeah, then all the pain that you're is being inflicted upon you is essentially getting you closer to God because you're sharing in His walk to Calvary. I, I think it again. So I think this whole idea of persecution for justice's sake is linked intrinsically with how you handle that persecution.
2: Yeah, and I think the bottom line is, uh, you know, for those listening, have faith. Even when you feel lost, and maybe you are being persecuted either by a government or by an employer or just people in your life, because I mean the hardest steel is you know heated to extreme temperatures. Ultimately, though, it's going to be quenched to be tempered, and it'll be tempered to a much harder degree. But
1: if you walk away from the faith, if you abandon, you know, the church, then. You're just being persecuted for persecution's sake. At that point, you know, you're suffering, suffering has, for nothing. Your suffering has no meaning. And so, I think again, you can take you can take so many movements throughout the you know that people have they've galvanized people and marches and this and that. And you can look at it and just be like, "Oh man, what a waste!" Here was an iniquity that was being thrust upon you people, and you, instead of embracing it, and uh, and it's uh, it's not to say that you have to just accept it and like, Oh, that's my lot in life. Although to some degree, yeah, like maybe that's your lot in life. But as far as like social movements that have quote unquote, as modernists would say, moved the world forward, it's mainly people that have turned to non faith related ideas and ideologies for the desire, I guess, for good, but you know, ultimately made the world a worse place. Um, uh, Namely, Communism comes to mind and all the things that spring out of Russia's heirs there. You know, feminism and abortion and the
0: gay agenda and all those things. Question 130, are there any other virtues besides the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity? Answer, besides the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, there are other virtues called moral virtues. Question 131, why are these virtues called moral virtues? These virtues are called moral virtues because they dispose us to lead moral or good lives by aiding us to treat persons and things in the right way, that is, according to the will of God. And then we'll go into question 132, which are the chief moral virtues? The chief moral virtues are prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. These are called the cardinal virtues.
1: I didn't see tolerance in there. Did you skip it?
0: That's right. The one where you accept whatever anyone does because then we reach consensus because Christ Something's is wrong Wait with my minute.
1: catechism. Tolerance <laughs> seemed to have been stricken from the page.
0: <laughs> yes, there's no brotherhood of men mentioned anywhere in Christ's uh, teachings in a way that would permit things that uh, it would be are a, offensive to God. Yeah, we, we don't yeah, it'd tolerate
1: it. It'd be a sin against prudence. You know, and, like it's and very injustice. In, injustice.
0: Yeah, there's all manner of issues that we look at when we're talking about why we need to adhere strictly to the commandments of God. And that's really where we go with these cardinal virtues. Why do we have them? So when we look at Prudence. Prudence is right decision making, and I think we end up. We'll actually go into the answers here to these three questions. Well, I believe
1: you know. Speaking of cardinal virtues, right? This is something that just—I had an apostrophe. Lightning has just struck my brain.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right. So,
1: cardinal virtues, right? It's how we we would sit there go, oh, it's like your directions, cardinal directions. Well, cardinal directions. If I'm taking a wild stab at which came first, they named North west east south the cardinal directions after the cardinal virtues right these are what steer us in our day-to-day lives our interactions um the acts that we do how we perceive other people like how we all this stuff these if we are in a perfect balance of these four
0: right order would you right
1: say right order man again if we're in the right order with these cardinal virtues then we're not going to get lost we're not going to go astray right and so it's the same thing. If you have a great understanding of the cardinal directions and where you sit on a map and which way is west and south and all that stuff, then you're not going to get lost too. And ultimately, I would just say that Catholics didn't invent north. I'm not saying that. All right. So I don't want that soundbite out there, although it would be nice to go viral. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd really, really get the channel a lot of views. <laughs> um, but it is a way in which we are our faith helps us conceptualize the rest of the world, right? To include physical navigation.
0: And I would add again, as I said on the previous comment regarding the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost, that the Catholic church did not make this up. It's actually sitting in scripture right before us. Well, in the same boat, um, these cardinal virtues are actually mentioned in the wisdom of Solomon verse. So chapter eight, verse seven, for all you Protestants out there, you're going to say, what is this book of which you speak? Well, thank Martin Luther for going and making an edit that ultimately then cascaded through every version that is not Catholic starting in the uh, 1500s. You won't have about seven books. Um, You're not going to have those seven books because he listened to a group of rabbinical Jews who told him that those books didn't exist. And the reason they didn't have the books is because they'd actually persecuted all the holders of the books and had them murdered by the Romans. So the Christians were the only ones who actually held the full Septuagint that the predecessors who actually still held the Hebrew faith, the Mosaic faith of the rabbinical Jews. At least they claim they do. Well, the rabbinical Jews no longer hold it. They no longer have a sacrifice. They no longer have a temple. They no longer have Levitical priests. I always
1: take my Christian cues from Jews.
0: From apostates?
1: (laughs) I again, always expect, what should I believe? What should I be reading, Oh, no Jewish Man? Like, again, we well. love
0: <laughs> We love Jews as individuals, and we hope they come around. But Judaism is damnable and irreconcilable with Christianity. So, They're
1: not the chosen people.
0: What's but Martin Luther went right to them and took their advice, removed the seven books that they didn't have, and therefore now Protestant Bibles no longer have these key pieces of Scripture, which actually are referenced at least 25 times to my knowledge and probably more by the new testament so the new testament authors when they wrote it had these books available and took verses from them almost verbatim just as a heads up so uh wisdom 87 i'll make sure that uh that is mentioned in the uh, description of the video here so i know jake was talking about this question 133 why are these virtues excuse me why are these virtues called cardinal virtues these virtues are called cardinal virtues because they are like hinges on which hang all the other moral virtues and our whole moral life. The word cardinal is derived from the Latin word cardo meaning hinge. So they're their core. This is this is the base for everything. This allows us to turn and to orient our lives properly. Orient by the way means east. Fun fact. So we're
1: turning our so I call our, them orientals
0: from the east. And also, why we orient ourselves in church, everything is to the spiritual east, where Christ will return from uh, in the second coming. Where the
1: sun rises.
0: Crazy, almost it's it's like this all, giant plan. It's so crazy. <laughs> Mind. <laughs> <laughs> so to wrap this thing up, we got two more questions here. So, how do prudence, justice fortitude and temperance dispose us to lead good lives this is question 134 prudence disposes us in all circumstances to form right judgments about what we must do or not do justice disposes us to give everyone what belongs to him fortitude disposes us to do what is good in spite of any difficulty temperance disposes us to control our desires and to use rightly the things which please ourselves so to put it all I guess to, to put a bow on it, uh, at least the uh, these uh, cardinal virtues here, we need to make good decisions. That's prudence. And we take all the information that's been given to us to make those decisions. This means we don't sit there and arbitrarily determine on the fly what scripture means ourselves, because none of us have that capacity to determine the full extent of God's intent when he actually put those words to paper through the apostles. No we go and do what we were given according to how we were instructed we follow what paul said and said go to the church because the church is where the wisdom resides the church will give us the interpretation and we do all that we are commanded by both written word or by spoken word and that's what he told the church at thessalonica so prudence means we use all the available information to do what we need to do right and we don't try to just pick and choose we don't cherry pick our facts and then make up something whatever way we want to go because if that's the case and everyone's just cherry-picking whichever way they want to go, that's not prudent anymore. It's prideful. And now everything's a mess as everyone starts to argue as to which way to go.
2: Is that how you get 50,000 Protestant denominations?
0: And counting. Right? All right. Hey, did you hear that? Another one. Another one just forms. <laughs>
1: I think the uh, the modern world, too, likes to, you know, if you throw out temperance, you're pretty much thrown out the rest of them as well, right? So, if you're throwing out temperance, which is the ability to control and have discipline on what, you know, gives us pleasure, right? So, that's drinking, food, sex, like, I mean, all of that stuff. If you're being intemperate in those in what you're indulging in, then, you know, you're obviously throwing out prudence, right? You're throwing out fortitude because at that point you're a pleasure seeker and you don't want to have to strive to do anything difficult. Or um, painful. Or painful. I think if you... I think if people out there, right, if you're trying to bring someone into the faith, right, we're talking about a totally hedonist person, had no form of structure. I think if you can convince them, if you can talk to them, really hone in on temperance, hey, you know, it's not a good idea to this and that, things start to become a little bit clearer in their minds, right? If If they can do away with the notion of, hey, I'm just going... I'm living for the weekend and the thrills and the chase and all that
2: stuff. How clear is your mind, too, when you drink 32 beers in a night? It, I mean, this is natural ramifications. Are you drunk? No. No. <laughs> but this ought to do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or when or when, if you're imprudent in your speech uh, or you're intemperate in your speech. You just keep talking. You never stop talking. You never can listen to anything. You can't learn.
1: You can tell me off air, Pete. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? The mute button.
0: <laughs> it, and that includes in terms of like how you spend your time, so are you getting enough rest? Are you doing enough at work? Are you spending enough time with your family? Are you taking care of all the remainder of the tasks that are on your plate? All of these things all factor in to temperance and prudence and fortitude because, yeah, it's difficult to do all this stuff. If you got to go and do it right, and you have to take care of them, and you have to be charitable, and you have to be faithful to God the whole time. you got to put him first. None of this is going to be easy, and then why do we do it all? Because it's just. Because he's God. Because he's He, for lack of a better term, earned it. He's worth it. deserves it. He deserves it. Everything he is and was and always will be deserves nothing less than everything. That's a
2: spoiler alert for people that are thinking about converting. This is the hardest thing you're ever going to do and will be the hardest thing you've ever done to sustain this. Every day is a fight. Every day, you really don't, I don't think I knew beforehand what temptation truly was until I tried jumping the fence into the Catholic Church. Because every little thing will try to knock you off this path of of prudent decision making, temperate living, you know, living the beatitudes that we kind of went over. It's it is sometimes seemingly mentally impossible, but then you have to swallow the pill, get over yourself, and ultimately, some- it's pleasurable though, like in the spiritual
1: sense, because oh, it is it's fulfilling, you know, because the same way that a swimmer, a biker, or a cyclist, a, a runner, a weightlifter, the same way that. You know, if you have done nothing for several years or any amount of time on the couch never worked out, the idea of going to the weight room or going on a run seems almost unbearable. And starting seems unbearable. But what, do you, what does anybody who, do, who does those activities, what will they tell you that that's the best part of their day? When they're walking into the gym or when they're put, lacing up their running shoes or getting in the pool and they're about to do something extremely strenuous, when they leave, when they get done with it they just have this overwhelming sense of accomplishment
0: they're fulfilled they're 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 Correct. doing something and that's for ultimately an end goal.
1: what it's ultimately what the desired outcome is for when you get when you're you're looking forward to saying your morning rosary you know you're looking forward to being able to get to church get to mass get yourself in order and the whole time anticipation is building and, and joy at the sacrament you know to go receive Um, ultimately that's the end goal. But that will not come without the initial uphill hurdle, right? It'll never get easy, but the pain, the physical discomfort that you may endure in your prayer life or sacramental life, that you'll get
2: spiritual joy out of that. It's it's a cool analogy. So you've been sitting on the spiritual couch for most of your life, and now we're trying to get you to do a sit-up. It's going to suck. You're going to do one eventually you'll do three eventually you'll do 10 and
1: you almost get it. You might even, you know, you almost get addicted to it eventually. Like, you know, because the thing that gave, that gives you discomfort has a purpose, right? You know, lifting this much weight, your personal record, like that's going to hurt and you're going to be sore for how many days, but ultimately you're going to come back stronger and bigger. And you know, it's the same thing with prayer. Like that's what you're, you're looking for out of that is to
0: grow in your prayer life,
1: uh, your spiritual life.
0: And I'm going to add here, this is exactly what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 9.25.
1: Paul Crossfitted?
0: Actually, he kind of mocked them a little bit. and Nice. Said that we watch it. athletes compete for perishable crowns, whereas we Boom. are working for the imperishable, the eternal crown in heaven. So even though... There are many people out there who do really some amazing stuff. If we're just going to sit back and just like Jake was saying, man, it's difficult when you look at them and you're almost tired as you're watching these people run or lift weights or all those difficult things they're doing in their training exercises. Um, by that same token, though, why does it get them in the end? If that's it, if that was the end of everything they're doing, sure, then then it's not worth it. Now, if that's a piece of what you do for your spiritual focus, it can be a so microcosm. Can for, it yeah. can be
1: a microcosm for you to an analogy for you to view the spiritual like yeah. that's it's an easier thing for people to wrap their mind around well why do i have to get up at 5 a.m to say my rosary and my my daily litany right why do i have to get to mass mass is already you know an hour plus long why do i have to now get there 30 or 40 minutes early to say a rosary and to say my silent prayers and to prepare you know like that's painful Right. To sit in one spot where you are not talking, you're the people around you are not talking, that there is a sacrifice going on that you may not fully understand yet. Like, well, I mean, we don't we don't actually understand it, but you may not fully um, uh, you know, partake, partake in that, that you can't really like, you know, appreciate, fully appreciate um, at that point. That's uncomfortable to just sit, you know around all these people not move not say anything you've got kids that are you know whining and and wanting to go to the bathroom and like all that is that's uncomfortable what is the purpose of that well the best way for people to conceptualize it is to go into the physical like you know you hey you did you did sports as a kid or hey you like to work out like this this is the point of it but working out and becoming getting your personal record on a bench press is nowhere near akin to you know doing a what? novena like right. you know what I mean? it, Like it's and, and, it's not akin because the it's,
0: end the end state doesn't do anything again if the if the end goal for you is to lift 400 pounds and that's and you do it so what if the end goal is heaven in eternal glory of god whole different ballgame because well, the reward is eternal and that that's the, the i comparison think one of the coolest
1: things made. is too is like you know you look at arnold schwarzenegger right if you look at like whatever it was pumping iron i think was his his big documentary in the oh, 70s ages ago yeah and uh, i mean and him and like lou frigno and like they're just massive they're massive you know he's still an imposing dude today but he's nowhere near as big as he was then right because he's 70 plus years old so the whole idea is that while you can use the physical exertions or whatever sport you're doing, you can use that as an analogy, but ultimately realize that like, cool, you got 400 pounds on bench. You know, you're amazing. That's awesome. That's so cool. You can lift the most in your gym. Well, over time, that's going to decrease. You're going to deteriorate and you're wither. Well, the best part about the spiritual world is there is no limit. It's just gains all the time. It's nothing but gains. As long Literally, as you're committed, you're always, as long as you are doing what you're supposed to be doing, as long as you're disciplined and regimented in your spiritual life, like,
0: and completely submissive to God. There Anything's is nothing
1: possible. that God won't grant you in your spiritual life if you are if you are willing to put in the work.
0: Almost like God said, "With God, you anything can is a, possible." You can like, be huh. a spiritual, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you
1: can be a spiritual giant. Like,
0: which is why you have people like Bellerman, which are great. And just because you are ninety guys, years old doesn't yeah. mean
1: you like lose your intellect and nope. your spiritual faith. No, you can be an absolute hammer. Of demons, you know. Sharp by the time they're like seventy or eighty, like,
2: or even as a child,
1: even as a child, even as a child, yeah.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. What was it? It's was it not... Agatha, the thirteen-year-old who mm-hmm. uh, took on the uh, Romans and ultimately had to encourage her executioner to stop holding her up from meeting Christ. Can you just finish this, please? <laughs> this is <laughs> <where'd it be? laughs> this is justice.
1: You have to do what you have yeah. to do. I have to do what I
0: have to. So do. don't. So that's the thing about being. Christian uh, and relying on Christ is it doesn't matter all the things the world cares about that determine your effectiveness and your prowess and your capacity to defeat all of your adversaries don't count when you're talking about the spiritual life and God. So focus on grace and you can do all this other stuff and that's what comes with the virtues. So when we close out here with question 135, last one of the lesson, what are some of the other moral virtues? Those moral virtues are filial piety and patriotism. I know that everyone gets weird about that now because it's just a bad word apparently in pop culture among socialists. It's conflated with nationalism. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but why filial piety and patriotism? Because it it disposes us to honor, love, and respect for our parents and our country. This is humility, people. (laughs) Like the right order. It's right order again. Peter said, "Submit to your masters." even the bad ones. Paul said, submit to your masters. Christ said, submit to your masters. And Christ didn't sit there and have a freaking debate with Pilate. Christ did not go take on and go punch, was it Tiberius in the nose? Yeah, it's render under Caesar. No, it's like, no, these guys are in charge on this world and whenever he was challenged, he's like, my kingdom is not here.
2: Yeah, I mean,
1: you're right. Render under Caesar, what is Caesar's, right? With render under God, what is God's? Again, going back to tolerance or lack thereof, right, That is comes with the notion that Caesar must render under God what is God's, right? right? And when he does not, and when he is asking you to stop rendering under God what is God's, then you have an obligation to either bite the bullet, as it were, right, or to fight back.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's the only time, so I was going to say, Catholics overall, because of these virtues, understanding piety and humility you will never find a more loyal group of citizens or subjects than Catholics until practicing Catholics, practicing Catholics. That's what I mean. Well, this goes back to the whole episode being here. This is Catholics in name only or Christians in name only versus legitimate dyed in the wool, true followers of Christ here. Those true followers of Christ, you will never find a more loyal group of citizens or subjects because of these virtues. When they are doing what Christ told them to do and living like Christ, as long as we're allowed to worship, most loyal ever take away the Catholic right to worship. And that's when things change. And I
1: believe it was the, a mother in the Vendee um, sometime in the 17, 1770s or 1780s when her son was, if I get the story correct, her son was set to be ex, uh, executed uh, for poaching. And she went to Versailles and talked with Louis the 16th and begged for his life. And Louis gave him reprieve. Well then when Louis was overthrown by the Jacobins, um, Her son, you know, her son didn't need to be told, but she essentially was saying he had no other option than to fight for the king that gave him his life. Awesome.
0: So moving on, virtue of obedience, which disposes us to the will of our superiors. Again, this goes back to humility again. Everything's about humility. We can't be Christian if we're not humble. And this is why we only take the word scripture and our church this does not mean we take the word of prelates without any justification we take the word from the church the timeless teachings because we are not smart enough ourselves we do not possess enough without god to actually understand what he is teaching or or how to behave properly the next virtue veracity disposes us to tell the truth this should be self-explanatory liberality This is not liberalism by the way so liberality which disposes us rightly to use worldly goods this just means don't waste what you have take care of it use them not for personal purposes but to glorify god Um, liberalism is a heresy which we can talk about at another time on another episode Uh, if people have questions throw us those down below in the video or send us an email patience disposes us to bear up under trials and difficulties so This is goes along with long suffering. This goes along with fortitude. This is how to just grit your teeth and bear it because sometimes you're not going to get out of that job you don't like today. You're not going to get away from that difficult situation where your kids are being a pain today. You're not going to deal with the relationship issues or legal troubles or whatever. They don't get themselves resolved in the next five seconds. So Be virtuous. Know that God has intended or allowed these things to fall upon you. This is your cross to bear, and patience allows you to bear that cross all the way to Calvary and glorify God along the way. Humility, and we've talked about that a bunch, disposes us to acknowledge our own limitations. We're not God on earth. We do not have the strength to bear a bunch of these trials, temptations, and pains alone. Humility means. Let's just understand there are people who are stronger than us in just about every single virtue you could possibly imagine. Christ is there to lead, follow him the whole way, follow all the people who went before us, who set a better example. And then chastity or purity, which disposes us to be pure in soul and body. That's really emphasizing sixth commandment and try to make sure that our eyes don't wander. We don't use our faculties in a way which could cause offense to God to other people or ultimately too, this goes into that whole, uh, the only way we can be humble and innocent before God, don't expose yourself to stuff that will take away that ability to be innocent. Whenever you look at what's going on around you, because those memories in terms of committing any of the sins that violate these virtues or walk away from these virtues, you're going to remember that. And that corrupts, that corrupts indefinitely. So make sure to prepare for it. And I want to make sure to close this out then to emphasize this is not the full list of moral virtues. If you want to look at moral virtues, there are a bunch of talks by Father Chad Rippiger where he talks on moral virtues and handles a bunch of them. So he handles what it's like to live a chaste life, what it's like to be married, what it's like to be a parent, what it's like to follow and to be uh to basically be a good Catholic. He goes through a whole bunch of these things. And he is building off of what St. Thomas had done, where he basically goes through the Decalogue, so the Ten Commandments, and then breaks out what all the commandments are and why we're supposed to behave in certain ways. So make sure to read more on this topic. This, this is not an all-inclusive list by any stretch of the no, imagination. No, it's,
1: it's not. And, and here there's we always hear, uh, well, I love Jesus, but I hate religion. Right? Well, this is right out of the catechism right here. Religion is the highest moral virtue since it disposes us to offer... To God, the worship that is due him. Religion, therefore, is rightly classed under the cardinal virtue of justice. So, essentially, whenever someone is saying, like, oh, I just don't like religion, or they're
0: following a false
1: religion, that is an injustice to God.
0: And he is worth more than that. So, I think that closes out this lesson for today. So, thank you all for listening. Again, this is the Ecumen with uh, Pete, Brian, and Jake and we were happy to have you. Please make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, follow on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and we're looking forward to doing a bunch more lessons. So if you guys have any more comments or thoughts or anything else you want us to talk about, hit us up in the questions, send us an email, and we'll get back to you. So in the meantime, thanks for listening. St. Joseph, pray Pray for for us. us.